If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Good news. We have a doctor in the house at 934, Dr. Nicole Nat Sapphire. We have a lot to discuss with this new variant and some of the other new antivirals that are coming on the scene. We'll be discussing that. Carly Shimkus has come up right from Fox and Friends. And uh, after brutal negotiation, she's agreed to join us at 906. If you're watching Fox Nation, when we take the two shot where you get her single, you'll have a chance to see what Carly looks like uh, streaming. So different from cable. Yes. Am right. I allowed to speak? Right. Yeah. Yes, you can. Okay. Hi. Yeah. Is that all? <laughs> I, I'm sorry, Allison. I will book somebody who's a little bit more loquacious. Well, I didn't know if this right. was like a big, cool, like just Brian open. Oh, okay. Or if I should speak. I didn't I didn't know what to do there. Oh, do and you want me? And we're having a pre-production meeting on the air, which is always a good, good idea. Let's go to the big three. Okay. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Do you plan to run for re-election? Yes. If I'm in the health I'm in now, in fact, I would run again. And if that means a rematch against Donald Trump? You're trying to tempt me now. (laughs) Why would I not run against Donald Trump for the nominee? That would increase the prospect of running. Wow, President uh, Biden ready for a rematch. It seems the answer is yes, and he pledges to compete Four more years. Yep. And would he welcome the opportunity to run against Trump? The answer is yes. If so, would the outcome be more than likely the same or different? And if not Trump on the right, then who? Carly. Uh, first of all, for President Biden, I think it's all about the numbers, the poll numbers and his age. Right. I do not see him running again. For the right, we have a deep, Republicans have a deeper bench. I'm being told to shut up. No, not shut up. I was just thinking one or two, just punch it. Sorry, like okay. Punch it. Well, yeah. I've try, never done this we'll try for number two, okay. right? Okay. Number two. But as the New York Times said today, Christmas gifts are arriving on time this year. Good news. We've saved Christmas. And that is because President Biden recognized this challenge early and focused on addressing practical problems across the global supply chain. Right, exactly. Biden alone fixed the supply chain. Yes, the White House claims to have saved Christmas. They restocked the shelves, unloaded ships, fired up trucks, and delivered your goods. Well, that's their reality. Is it yours? Carly. This is news to literally every American out there. Next. Number one. This is a real game changer. This is the first antiviral pill that'll help keep my patients out of the hospital. And it's only for five days. The key is you've got to start it early. So that's why testing is critical. And making sure we have enough tests is also just as important. Uh, That's uh, Dr. Neshwat. You know her. Good news. The Omicron variant is subsiding where it started in South Africa and quickly. It's more contagious but less lethal. And now it seems it will exit the way it entered. Rapidly. Can we please stop panicking as a country? Also, it's here. A drug to take once you get the virus. Five days and you should be fine. Carly Shimkus, the antiviral drug from Pfizer, one day after the president gave us our game plan for winter meetings. Amazing. Yeah, once this widely hits the market, COVID is over.
right? I would think so. I mean, I don't know what else. I mean, you never know with these government mandates and what's going to happen down the road. But if you have a uh, pill that would uh, keep you from hospitalization and death because of COVID and it essentially just becomes a cold, uh, why would we be masking up? Why would we still be having mandates? Why would there still be panic and fear? Um, I, I can't imagine that still being the reality of the situation for rational people. Yeah, absolutely. So we're looking at a situation where we have a lot of cases. The cases are up 36% over the last two weeks. But deaths are up only six. Hospitalizations, about 13. Which shows you everything we heard initially, correct. It, tra- it travels easily, transmitted easily. I get it. But nobody's getting seriously ill from it. Potentially, absolutely. I also could get hit by a car. If I don't wear a seatbelt, I'm going to be in trouble. So I cannot believe this national panic we're seeing. I mean, yesterday there was so much good news that came out. So much positive news. It made me feel like the way I did right when the FDA first approved the vaccine. And we all looked at each other and said, oh my gosh, there's going to be a vaccine. This means that uh, the virus is almost coming to an end. Little did we know that still the end of 2021. And it feels like we're going backwards because there's now more lockdowns over this. But not only did the FDA approve this, um, this antiviral that I think, I pray to God, would be the end of COVID. Right. But also, there's this study out of South Africa that shows that uh, Omicron is much less severe than other variants. And if you get Omicron, 80% less likely to be the, in the hospital than Delta and the previous variants before it. Wow, so that's good news that's and no one wants to hear news. it. That's why I it's 20 degrees out and I've got to line up for two hours in order to get a test that's going to decide whether or not I get to celebrate Christmas. What is wrong with us? Yeah. Um, now, the previous variants cause wave-shaped like Kilimanjaro. Omicron's is more like we were scaling the north face of Everest, says one South African official, referring to the near vertical increase in infections, which we saw here, recorded in the first weeks in December. That was there. Now we're going to go back down the south face, and that is the way we think this is going to work. The variant, like Omicron and others, will fall quickly and is falling quickly with less lethality. Robert Redfield told us what today, uh, last week, or they were all blending together. Maybe yeah, it, was it was Monday. Yeah, it was Monday. Said, I expect another variant in six months. It'll spread even quicker, but it will be less serious. Are we getting this pattern yet? I know, and that's why, and Brian, we've talked a lot about this this week, but the, what the NFL is doing with only testing uh, people who have symptoms, I think, is uh, really the first step into normal life. Um, I, the conversation has been exclusively around testing, and the media has criticized the Biden administration about being unprepared with testing. And, you know, you talk to doctors, testing is important, but my bigger concern is that they're, gonna, they're using this Omicron variant for more government Control because everybody's so afraid of this new wave, and um, I'm afraid that even though the Biden administration now is saying that it isn't going, we're not going to lock down. Just putting that panic out there, and you know, doing the big press conference and making the big speech, it's still in the bloodstream of the American people, as opposed to saying exactly what we had just been talking about about this being a much less severe variant. So let me just let's, let's look at this. So the president says, I'm not going to lock down. He knows it's, it's, it's kryptonite for any politician. The lockdown, uh, that is death. We, American people have had it. We're fed up with lockdown. But you know what they do, though? They say, uh, yeah, it's dangerous. Okay, so I want that XYZ company. 
you're going to have to gut your staff. You're going to have to work from home. So that's not going to – it's going to hurt the delis, the restaurants, the toy exactly. stores, the, the, the buses, the trains. And then they're going to say, well, if I don't have anybody go to my restaurant, I'm going to have to close. So that closes. Goodbye waiters. Goodbye bartenders. Goodbye managers. And then we're going to have to shut down that show because I can't sell tickets yeah. to people where half – it doesn't pay for me to have half an arena. So goodbye Christmas show. Goodbye Broadway place. So you didn't lock us down, but you locked us down. No, and then in New York City, there's a vaccine. I thought that there was going to be more outrage over the vaccine mandate for children in New York City. It's not, I guess, technically a, a mandate, but it is in a sense because if you're five years old or over, you have to be vaccinated. You have to show proof of vaccination in order to go to a restaurant. And Brian, yesterday you said that you were leaving the building and you didn't see a lot of tourists. And you know, why is that? Is that Omicron? Is that Omicron. crime? Yeah, crime. Well, I also think it has to do with the mandate because, you know, if you're from Florida and you want to see the Christmas tree with your five-year-old and they're not vaccinated, and I understand why parents would be fearful of vaccinating their children, um, then you can't, you, can't go out to, you can't go out to dinner? Why even come? Yeah, I remember the president of Brazil doesn't get vaccinated, and they wouldn't let him go out to a Brazilian restaurant in New York City when he went to the U.N. to oh speak. They're just trying to humiliate him because he uh, loves Trump. That's part of it. So the other big story— um, is what's happened with the antiviral. So this is essentially it. It looks like Pfizer has got authorization for the first COVID pill. It'll be a five-day treatment the minute you get it. So if you test positive, you get these pills. And then you get five days, and your your symptoms should be gone, and you should be ready to go within within those 10 days. I imagine they got to come up with a time in which you're cured. Would that be five days or seven days? Yeah. Well, so what happens down the road once this pill um, hits the market and it becomes um, easily accessible for everybody, which it is going to take a little bit of time to ramp up, right? We got like only twenty million or something like that. Not even. I think that the. I think right now the ten million. You're right. Yeah. No, I thought it was two hundred thousand. I thought that that's what was what's hitting hospitals now, and then it's going to go well, up. Let me let me tell you, uh, Carly. It says the advanced purchase of ten million packs uh-huh. of Paxil Void uh, at a cost of five point three billion, along with three point one million treatment courses of the Merck drug, yeah. uh, whatever that name is. That's two point two million. So the Merck drug it's is not, not as good. yeah not as good, evidently. Yeah, but like- it will take something rather than. Hospital. Exactly. I'm going to wait at home to get hospitalized. Yeah. But not all the hospitals are going to be getting um, Paxlovid. Uh, it's going to take a couple weeks to a couple months. But once that happens, that is so great. Yeah. And um, you have to wonder what will happen after that when it comes to all the stuff that we've been talking about. Do we do another uh, mandated booster? I mean, d- didn't that just happen in California? Isn't there? Aren't there mandated booster shots now? That's what Gavin, Governor Newsom announced yesterday. We're now going to ba- mandate the booster. Do you know in Germany and Israel they're getting four, four shots? shots? Four shots. When's it going to stop? I know. I watched Bob Costas, the sportscaster, on with uh, Mike McConish last night on another network uh, who's, who's getting a tryout to replace Chris Cuomo. And he said, do whatever they say. All these athletes, if you don't get vaccinated, you should be fired. Oh, excuse me. Wait, when does Dr. Costas... Do whatever they say. A brand new vaccine. Just listen. Do it. I mean, there's absolutely no reason to it, uh, especially when you're healthy. And then you talk about members of the military, and um, you know, the, I think that the military argument is very interesting because you don't want military members to just because they don't like something. You know, they they signed up to the military for a reason. But also, they're su- they're such healthy people, and for somebody to you know willingly want to serve our country and then get fired because they're not taking a vaccine um, is pretty sad situation. Imagine you go to West Point, you finally become an officer, and you go, I don't feel comfortable with the vaccine. Goodbye. I know. Uh, listen to what Joe Biden said yesterday about the booster. Cut one. 
Let me ask you about what we heard from Israel overnight. They're already moving forward with uh, a second booster now. So this would be the fourth shot for people 60 and older and for frontline medical workers. Is that something you're considering? I listen to the scientists, and I'm sure the scientists are paying very close attention to that. There may be a need for another booster, but that remains to be seen. So it, it remains a possibility. It remains a possibility. Here we go. People are not going to take four, four shots. L listen, I, I don't think people can take three shots. Yeah. The thing that got people to take the booster was the um, this this new variant from South Africa. That's what got them to take the booster, but. When people with the, if they were paying attention like we were, and we should give ourselves full credit for this, and I don't give myself enough credit, and I really should, <laughs> and actually no one gives me credit, and I and I think that's you wrong. get a gold star today, Brian. That's all I want, and you should give yourself credit because we said, excuse me, is anyone reading this? I know. Is anyone reading this? Well, I, I'm not going to give myself credit for that at all. The reason I was so fired up about <clears throat> antivirals on Monday was because I listened to antivirals. Uh, I was yeah. talking about the actual variant. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I, I zoned out for a second. Very good job, Carly. <laughs> it's just on live radio, no big deal. Right. But but seriously, the reason I I, I was talking about all this is because. Um, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, he did that interview with Maria, and he said, yeah, listen, Omicron is is going to spread across the country, but rather than lockdown, we have another solution, and it's called treatment. Numbers are going up in Florida, like they're going up in New York. How you handle it is really defines who you are yeah. and who your leaders are. I know. And I'd rather give it someone who trusts me to make my own decisions. Why do you think so many people are moving to red states? I mean, do you think it's crime? Do you think it's it's COVID? Two. I don't think that the numbers would have been as high if it weren't for COVID. People are so sick and tired of being told what to do. Did you hear what Lori Lightfoot said recently? Because she's got this new mandate where you can't go to restaurants without being vaccinated. And her statement was just so infuriating when she's like, if you want to lead a normal life, you have to do what I say. What? Excuse me? Uh, like, who, who do you think you are? Well, this is the woman that during uh, when the pandemic first had two weeks to slow the spread, she, without a mask, got a haircut because she, the people she of Chicago demand her look good. It's so right, so and ridiculous. so many times I look at her and think to myself, she only had a haircut. <laughs> so when we come back, Lori Lightfoot and the type and how your hairstyle compares. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. 
In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And from the standpoint of Bette Midler, you know, all I would say is shame on her. I mean, really and truly. To call West Virginians illiterate and to say that we're strung out and poor, and when West Virginia is leading the way over and over and over, whether it be in, in, the, in the COVID, you know, call or where, whether it be, you know, in leading the way, becoming a diamond in the rough that everybody's missed, we're pumping out surplus after surplus in this state beyond belief. The lowest unemployment rate in the history of our state, absolutely, thing, you know, one thing right after another, whether it be leading in tourism, diversification, on and on and on. And for Bette Midler to say that, it is just plain not tolerable. It isn't. And that was Governor Jim Justice in the lock, girls' locker room before he coached his girls' basketball game. I know that sounds weird. But uh, <laughs> he had 499 wins. He won him when, I think he won his, uh, he was going for his 500th. But he was just at, responding to the fact that people have this characterization of, of West Virginians, uh, Carly Shimkus. It's so insulting, it's isn't it? It's so insulting, but also who cares what Bette Midler thinks? I mean, you know that she's going to be these people that just like fire out tweets and don't even think. It makes it makes her look worse. It right. makes her look bad. She's the loser, not the people of West Virginia. True. So, uh, But it has not stopped people from going after Joe Manchin and some tangentially hurting West Virginians. Listen to Jamal Bowman, the oh. congressman from New York, Cut 29. It's tremendously frustrating for me as a black man in America because, once again, it's an example of Joe Manchin as a white man showing that he doesn't care about black people, he doesn't care about Latinos, he doesn't care about immigrants, he doesn't care about women, and he doesn't care about the poor. Right, exactly. I mean, do you believe this? How but do you see race? That's just the line. That's just the classic line that progressives use. If you don't agree with what we're doing, we're going to call you racist. Uh, try, try and cancel you or whatever. I'm so sick of that word. Uh, do you, I think you talked about this yesterday. You mentioned it briefly. That Washington Post article by Charles Lane, the one that says uh, a simple question about Build Back Better, what's in it for West Virginia? You know, and he makes such a great point. I love the article about how everybody's so shocked that uh, Joe Manchin is a no vote on Build Back Better, at least for now. Um, And it's what what's in it for the state of West Virginia. And it's, you know, anti uh, coal. It's anti oil and gas, natural gas, natural gas, which is. You know the future of West Virginia as they move away from the coal the the coal industry. Um, so why would President Biden hinge his legacy on a vote from Joe Manchin when, of course, he's going to be a no vote unless he absolutely takes a hacksaw to this thing and changes it totally? Also, where's Kirsten Cinema in all, all this? Right, she's keeping her powder dry right now. Yeah, I but everybody's it, always talking about Joe Manchin. What if he says yes and then she says no? That's a good point. That's a great point. Also, you would bring up West Virginia. She, he's noticing all those tax deductions for state taxes. Guess where the taxes are high? In New York, in California, they were going to get the Illinois. They were going to get the tax break, the salt, the so-called salt. salt. 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Tax deduction is the most hilarious part of Build Back Better. Right. I mean, they, they give all these rich people... You get you get to write over your state taxes. Yeah. You're gonna get hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> this bill helps the poor. Oh, really? Actually, it helps people making five hundred thousand dollars or more in in New York City. Right. Uh, meanwhile, just real quick, I don't know if you saw the story about Kamala Harris in today. Obviously, uh, in today's New York Times front I didn't, page. Yeah, but you said you so. Were basically, about it. she is complaining that she got uh, no fun jobs because she had to watch the border and to get voting reform done. And uh, she had somebody speak out on her behalf. Uh, Karen Bass doesn't feel like she's being dealt in. This is what Karen Bass said, the congresswoman from California. He said, uh, but the complexity of the issue that has been assigned and the long-term solutions that they require should have prompted the West Wing to defend Harris when everyone attacked her for not doing anything, by the way, and more aggressively to the public. Karen Bass said, what the, what, what the White House could have done has been clearer with the expectations of what was supposed to happen under a watch. So because she didn't get election reform, before the border got worse, they should have explained to her we don't expect her to do anything. Yeah, deep, deep divide in the West Wing. It is real. Right. And all these surrogates speaking for her. Henry Cuellar says, sorry, I've dealt with her. Not good. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Let me ask you about what we heard from Israel overnight. They're already moving forward with uh, a second booster now. So this would be the fourth shot for people 60 and older and for frontline medical workers. Is that something you're considering? I listen to the scientists, and I'm sure the scientists are paying very close attention to that. There may be a need for another booster, but that remains to be seen. So it, it remains a possibility. It remains a possibility. Four shots. Here we go. Uh, that's exactly what critics and skeptics with the vaccine said. Well, if I get this one, oh, you mean I got to get two? If I have to get these two, when does it end? Well, there's a booster. Well, that's where it ends. No, no, a fourth shot. Or you have people just say, whatever you need, just keep shooting me up. Dr. Nicole Sapphire, Fox News contributor on the front lines of this, author of uh, The Panic Attack. Dr. Sapphire, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Thanks for having me. Hey, I think we've got some good news to report, but I first wanted to have you uh, tackle that. What are you hearing from your medical professionals about a fourth shot? Well, so first of all, you have to know Israel's been ahead of us with the data throughout the entire pandemic. Yep. The United States lags about three to four months behind. So if they're offering fourth shots to the immunocompromised, those 60 and older, and healthcare workers, uh, that's probably because they're seeing a declining efficacy of their third booster shot. Uh, in that population. And that's not surprising. We know that the data shows with these booster shots, they have a massive increase in antibody production, about a 25 times fold. But as we saw with the two-dose series, after about four months, those antibodies start to wane. And so now 
Israel is saying, hey, four months after that third booster, get a fourth booster if you're high-risk immunocompromised. And I'll be honest, I think that that's the approach we should have had with boosters all along. I think boosters should be targeted for the high risk because if they are at risk, even if they get a breakthrough infection, they have the higher risk of being hospitalized and having a severe outcome. So targeted booster approach, I'm okay with. The It's just then we go to the whole universal booster recommendations, even in the lowest risk populations and those such as young adult males who have a higher risk of myocarditis and pericarditis, that's when I start to have an issue. Right. Uh, Do you get a sense, have you seen anything that's definitive on uh, Moderna or Pfizer being challenging for people 18 to 34, uh, younger people who are uh, highly athletic? Because uh, there's some reports in Europe, they just stop using giving uh, Moderna. Well, Moderna is a higher dose than Pfizer, and so they had a higher report of side effects and also when it comes to the cardiac inflammation. Um, And, you know, I have to applaud Europe and other countries that they have taken a step back, unlike the United States, and they have actually said, you know, we're not going to recommend a full-dose series for the younger age who are at a higher risk of inflammation and low risk of COVID-19. They're doing it a more tailored approach. Some are only suggesting a single dose or not recommending Moderna, which is the higher dose. I mean, all of these variations are smart moves. The United States, unfortunately, the CDC is in such a predicament where they will say nothing to undermine the two-dose vaccine series that it is, in my opinion, can be to the detriment of individuals. So yesterday, a couple of things uh, happened, I think, of note when it comes to the virus. Number one, the antiviral is now out. Is it going to be available? They say it's, it's going to come in packets of five. After you test positive, you'll get this Pfizer pill. Uh, Hopefully, we'll be able to have access to it because it's not that much right now. Uh, And what will happen? How do you see this playing out? Will doctors get this? Will pharmacies get this? So, so great news. Paxlovid got its emergency use authorization. This is an antiviral medication. It's kind of the... COVID equivalent for Tamiflu, which we have for flu. So if given to people within three to five days of symptom onset, it has a good ability to keep people out of the hospital and reduce severe outcomes. Clinical trials suggest up to 89% reduction of hospitalization rate in high-risk individuals. This is amazing and wonderful for moving forward with this virus. Now, unfortunately, while the federal government has gotten a contract to have about 10 million courses of this medication, they said only about, I think they said like 200,000 will be available by the end of January. So this is going to do nothing for our current predicament that we're in with the rising cases. However, what needs to happen is they need to be giving this medication to primary care doctors, to urgent care centers. Yes, they need to go to the neighborhood pharmacy so physicians can write prescriptions for it. But the way to get it... fastest and expedite it into the hands of the patient is to give it directly to the physicians so they can give it to the patients on the spot. Because the second you write that prescription, all of a sudden you have no control over whether or not that patient goes directly to the pharmacy and takes that medication. About 50% of Americans don't actually take medications as prescribed. So if our goal is to keep people out of the hospital, we need to make sure that this medication is in their hands. Yeah, and people feel much better getting it from a doctor rather than showing up at a clinic. So I just think that if you – plus, if people are comfortable with you and say, hey, listen, are you worried about Moderna? Are you worried about Pfizer? Have you heard anything about the vaccine, you know, the ramifications? Those are the types of things that people 
uh, feel reassured. That's why you have a doctor. You don't really feel comfortable with politicians, mayors, governors, and presidents telling you, I don't care what party you're in, uh, in my humble opinion. The other big news that happened yesterday is in studying what's happening with the Omicron over in South Africa, they're finding there's a major crash. 60% of the people infected by March, uh, by March in 140 million new cases, uh, but they say there'll be up to 60% of the people infected by March and 140 million new cases, but 90% will never show symptoms, according to the University of Washington. Omicron is also falling off a cliff in South Africa, and they're not finding a high, high level of illness. Yeah, that's right, Brian. South Africa, um, the UK, Scotland, a lot of countries are coming out with their Omicron data saying that the far majority of patients are either have very mild symptoms like the sniffles, like a cold, or not exhibiting symptoms at all. And so when we're talking about trying to move forward with this virus, that's incredible news. That doesn't mean that no one's going to be hospitalized. That doesn't mean that no one is going to die. But we never get to a zero risk when it comes to anything, really, in medicine. And, and what we're seeing in South Africa is while there was a very quick increase in cases, there is a quick decline as well because it is highly transmissible. It's making its way through that population. And thankfully, it is not causing a concomitant rise in hospitalizations and deaths. So this may be what exactly what we need to move on. We have a large amount of population immunity between the vaccines, the boosters, and natural immunity. And now with this highly contagious virus, which does appear to be more mild, people are going to start having that hybrid immunity, meaning those who are fully vaccinated are also going to get a dose of natural immunity when they are exposed to this virus. And that hybrid immunity is much stronger than vaccine-induced immunity alone and much stronger than natural immunity alone. So if we can safely get to a place where the majority of the population has hybrid immunity, that is when we are able to move forward as a country and accept that this is endemic and get on with our lives. Right. Uh, When we talk about anticipating the next variant, uh, many people are saying that the administration should have known. Dr. Fauci said over the weekend, we told them that that the vice president's being uh, is uh, being taken out of context, which is interesting for somebody else to tell somebody else that they've been taken out of context. So here President Biden took that question last night from ABC Cut 9. The vice president said in recent days that, that you didn't see Delta coming, you didn't see Omicron coming. How did you get it wrong? <laughs> How did we get it wrong? Nobody saw it coming. Nobody in the whole world. Who saw it coming? I guess, did the administration not expect that there could be moments like this one where you'd have a highly transmissible variant sure, that's possible there, around the corner? It was possible. And it's possible there could be other variants that come along. That's possible. But what do you plan for? You plan for what you think is available, that is the most likely threat that exists at the time, and you respond to it. And I think that that's exactly what we've done. What do you think is fair? I mean, now that we know another, I watched Robert Redfield on Monday tell me that I said there were going to be other variants. You've mentioned that. And he said there's going to be another one. And I think it'll move quicker, easily transmittable, but I don't think it'll be uh, as lethal. So what should the administration be doing? So first of all, Brian, of course they knew it was coming. To say that we didn't expect this, I mean, it's not that they didn't expect it. It's just they weren't prepared for it because they were focusing on the wrong things. You know, I had the privilege of interviewing President Trump back in April 2020, and the question I asked him was, I said, President Trump, 
Where are the tests for COVID-19? This is the Achilles heel to our American response. We have an inability to test for this illness. And he gave me the plan and threw it under Operation Warp Speed, the Defense Production Act. They rapidly expanded tested capability. I don't, anyone who was criticizing President Trump for the lack of testing two years ago and is not criticizing the Biden administration for the same issues is completely a hypocrite at this point because at least now we have two years to have been backpiling these tests. And unfortunately, it's not just, oh, Omicron hit us and we weren't expecting it because we were having testing issues during the Delta wave in August and September. So the Biden administration just did not reinvest in testing and they dropped the ball on this. They knew the variants were coming, but they didn't make the right investments. And unfortunately, we're seeing the consequences of that right now. And what do you think people, uh, final message, Dr. Sapphire, probably the last time we'll speak until Christmas, we saw Dr. Fauci say yesterday, that if you're not vaccinated, do not go. I will tell people, if you're not vaccinated, you're not invited to my house. Is that, is that the message you have? Is that the message you think Americans should have? You know, I, I, I understand what Dr. Fauci is trying to say, but unfortunately, I think we need to stop segregating our populations. Just like we accept people who smoke cigarettes, drink alcohol, live sedentary lifestyles, you can't segregate people because they're making a choice that causes risk to their own health. They are not putting you at risk. At this point, being vaccinated, even being boosted, you are still able to get COVID-19 and give it to other people. And so when you tell someone who isn't vaccinated they can't come to your house, you shouldn't be saying that because you're afraid they're going to give it to you. You should be thinking about them. They are at a higher risk for severe illness, and they are an adult. And everyone at this point has the knowledge of what the risks are, and they have the ability to go get vaccinated if they so choose. But I think Americans need to really get away from this mindset of segregation. The best we can do is to educate, provide access, but at the end of the day, Americans are going to make their own choices, which is why we need to make sure these treatments become available if and when people do get severe illness and we need to keep them out of the hospital. So, Dr. Sapphire, do vaccinated, vaccinated people, are they been put in danger? by unvaccinated people the endangered meaning can they be can they get COVID-19 from an unvaccinated person absolutely they can also get COVID-19 from a vaccinated boosted individual while it is less likely it is not zero and the two-dose vaccine series only inhibits infection to about 20 percent at this point so let's stop segregating, let's stop dividing the country, and let's just move forward, and people can have conversations when it comes to gathering. We know that the most transmission does occur in people's homes, so whether you are vaccinated, whether you are boosted, whether you are unvaccinated, the goal is to protect those who are vulnerable, and that should be our mindset. All right. Uh, Dr. Sapphire, well put. I always appreciate your input, and now your mission now is to have a great uh, holiday. Can you do that? You know I will, Brian. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Nicole Sapphire, thank you. When we come back, your phone calls, 1-866-408-7669. Also, special thanks to everybody who continues to purchase the President of Freedom Fighter. It moved up a notch on the top 10 list. It remains there now for the seventh week. Uh, It is now number seven. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
he does appear to be suggesting uh, that there could be some progress, that there could be some reduction, reduction in the tension. Uh, asked about whether or not there would be a war, he said, we don't want that, this is not our choice. And then he says, by and large, we are seeing positive traction at this point. Now, that comes after mm. Foreign Minister Lavrov uh, said that there will be strategic negotiations with the US and NATO uh, next month. So a positive message. So this is what's significant about this. They say they never heard Vladimir Putin give so many interviews, so many say so many inaccurate things, provocative things that are totally inaccurate that make it seem as though NATO and the West want war and that they have no choice but to defend themselves. That NATO is building up and threatening them and their perimeters and their and their borders. More from Keir Simmons. The nature of the negotiations, very, very clear now after that um, stunning document uh, that Moscow uh, put out there saying that their demand uh, is that NATO uh, no longer expand east and no longer engage militarily uh, with Eastern European nations. Plainly, and Washington has made this quite clear, that is a, a no-go. So we have now real clarity about what Putin, President Putin is trying to achieve Everything else, though, is as hard to read as ever because this messaging that he's giving at this news conference today comes in the same week uh, where he spoke to military officials and threatened a military technical response, which seems to be code for a cyber attack, and uh, suggested uh, that there can be no retreat. So what is he up to? Is he trying to distract and mobilize and and drum up nationalism in a country that is just withering under economic strife because all his money goes into the military and they're basically a big oil and gas station. That is their export. So uh, Dan Hoffman, who worked at BEAT uh, for the CIA, as well as Iraq in the Middle East, he's uh, in the Middle East, he said this about what he's hearing out of Moscow and how he reads it. I have three major concerns. The first is the 100,000 or so Russian troops on the border. That's a major threat, obviously. Secondly, the public nature of Putin's demands makes it very difficult for him to back down from those uh, without losing face. Uh, and the third is the sense of urgency that Putin has attached, calling to, the, to this crisis that he's himself generated, as you said, that he created, uh, saying that, that Ukraine is a staging ground for NATO aggression, which couldn't be farther from the truth. I think the concern for Putin is that he's already invaded Ukraine, annexed Crimea way back in 2014, and we're still talking about giving Ukraine an opportunity to join NATO. That's a red line for him, not because of concern over the military, tanks, weapons, and other things. It's because Ukraine uh, could become a real democracy, and it's those ideas of liberty and freedom that most threaten Putin's regime security. And that's why Putin, I think, now is considering the possibility of another invasion. But what he Hmm. wants is that that we will promise that Ukraine never join NATO and that we'll reduce our troop deployments in Central Eastern Europe. Uh, we can't do that. And if we do promise yeah, that, impossible. I think we would do great harm to Ukraine's democracy. Well, it would be a huge harm. And that's what's unfolding. And, and you know it's serious when the Secretary of State flies over there. President Biden had a virtual summit. They plan on talking again on Monday. But when you see Jen Psaki come out and say, listen, we don't plan to invade Russia. We're not trying to get aggressive with Russia. That's not NATO's objective. They've already won. They've already won because they're winning the war games. If you're responding to their baseless uh, provocations, 
You just responded. You said, no, I'm not going to punch you in the mouth. Who told you I was going to punch you in the mouth? I just want to make a statement. I'm not going to punch you in the mouth. You never intended to punch them in the mouth. But they won because they accused you of doing something you had no intention of doing, and now you're playing defense. And I really think that Vladimir Putin obviously knows that Joe Biden was never, even at the top of his game, his instincts were terrible, let alone what we're witnessing right now. So keep your eye on this. I know you got a lot going on. we got the pandemic. You have a you have an election coming up in about uh, in about a year. Everyone's going to be focused on that. I think foreign policy is going to be a much bigger deal. We've been very fortunate over the last few years. Some of the times we dropped our guard, we have not paid the price. We see China trying to spread through South America, through the South Chinese China Sea as well. We see them trying to get based in Africa. And now a satellite image in so, of over Saudi Arabia shows a missile defense system from China. What are they doing with, with a missile defense system from China? Uh, that was our questionable ally, but vital ally. China's moving in. Good luck with that. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's uh, the latest of the Brian Kilmeade Show, getting closer and closer to Christmas uh, in New York. Uh, Congressman Jim Jordan standing by. Uh, His book, Do What You Said You Would Do, is doing great. Uh, And I talked to him last night, and believe it or not, he is not sick of me. I talked to him on primetime, which I'll be doing again tonight. Bottom of the hour, uh, Ryan Zinke wants to be a congressman again, former Navy SEAL, former Secretary of the Interior. Uh, um, Yeah, I should say that. And Chad Pergram. Actually, I've just decided unilaterally to push Ryan Zinke to the the last hour. And you guys can't do anything about it, Allison. You cannot do anything about it. You do have that power as being host of the show. Right. And or he could have been there and I misread the rundown. Do we know? That never happens. That never happens? All right, Eric, would you second that? That has never happened? (laughs) Rick doesn't want to do that. Let's get to the victory. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Do you plan to run for re-election? Yes. If I'm in the health I'm in now, in fact, I would run again. And if that means a rematch against Donald Trump? You're trying to tempt me now. (laughs) Why would I not run against Donald Trump for the nominee? That would increase the prospect of running. Hey, wow. Biden, four more years? Really? Uh, Are you ready for a rematch? It seems the answer is yes, and he pledges to compete for four more years uh, and complete that four years and get four more. What about a Trump-Biden two? Uh, Will the outcome be the same? And if not, Trump on the right, then who? Number two. But as the New York Times said today, Christmas gifts are arriving on time this year. Good news. We've saved Christmas. And that is because President Biden recognized this challenge early and focused on addressing practical problems across the global supply chain. Uh, There you go. Uh, Jen Psaki saved Christmas. Joe Biden saved Christmas. They restocked the shelves, unloaded chips, fired up trucks and delivered your goods. Well, that's their reality. Is it yours? Number one. This is a real game changer. This is the first antiviral pill that'll help keep my patients out of the hospital. And it's only for five days. The key is you've got to start it early. So that's why testing is critical. And making sure we have enough tests is also just as important. 
Uh, there you go. Uh, good news. The Omicron variant is subsiding, which is where it started in South Africa, and it's ending quickly. It's more contagious and less lethal, like we've been saying all along. More good news. An antiviral drug is on the market. Bad news is we didn't order enough, so it's going to take a while for you and I to be able to get it should we test positive. Joining us now on Positive is Congressman Jim Jordan, ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, and he hopes to be a committee chairperson in about nine months, uh, ten months. Congressman, welcome back. Good to be with you, Brian. Merry Christmas. I, I, I thought your, your top three there, the second one, I thought, sounds like a Hallmark movie, Jin Saki Saves Christmas. I mean, what, what, <laughs> the, what the heck? This is, is it like... What, what Christmas presents and uh, Christmas has never been more expensive. We went from stable pricing to the most expensive Christmas ever. I mean, uh, but yeah, they, they can define that as saving Christmas, I guess. That, that's just par for the Biden, uh, Biden administration. It, well, that's what she said. She's on the record. Uh, so she saved Christmas. Uh, here's the president. Cuts, uh, cut 14. Earlier this fall, about supply chain problems leading to a crisis around the holidays. So we acted. A lot of recommendations of the people that you see on the screen here. I wish we were all able to do this in person. We brought together business and labor leaders to solve problems. And much, uh, you know, the much predicted uh, crisis didn't occur. Packages are moving. Gifts are being delivered. Shelves are not empty. So, it game on. I mean, it's up to people yeah. of Ohio, your people, your district, people listening to us around the country to decide if he's telling the truth or not. Well, they know. He, I mean, this is the same president who said if you spend two to five trillion dollars more, it's going to help inflation. This is the same administration where Secretary Mayorkas told us, don't worry, the border is secure. Uh, this is the administration who time and time again tells us one thing and we just look at them like that. that there's no way that's that's true. And the American people are smart people. They got common sense. And they know that in, in less than a year, I and mean, this is frightening in, in some ways, in less than a year, we went from stable prices to record inflation. We went from safe cities to record crime. We went from energy independence to the president begging OPEC to increase production. Uh, I mean, you could, we went from a secure border to complete chaos. We went from respect around the world to the, to the Afghanistan withdrawal that was just a, a, a complete debacle. I mean, so they can keep saying what they want. They can say, uh, you know, Jen Psaki can say uh, Joe Biden saved Christmas. But the American people are like, they just don't buy it because they, they know the truth, they see the truth, and they have common sense. So it's, it's, it's frustrating, but uh, there's a reason why Joe Biden's approval ratings are in the 30s um, because they know what he's saying isn't accurate, and they know that the outcome of these ridiculous policies is what it is, and it's, uh, it's, it hasn't been good for the country. And, and that's why if there is a race in, 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 uh, between Joe Biden and President – I think President Trump's running in four years. I don't know about Joe Biden, even though he says he is. I think President Trump is going to win going away. So you do you do think that. So do you think that Joe Biden running again is something that would enhance the president's chance, the former president's chance of running or lessen it? I don't think it matters to the Democrats put up. I think the country now knows that the, how good we had it a year ago in spite of in spite of every Democrat being against President Trump, in spite of everyone in the mainstream press being against President Trump, in spite of everyone in the bureaucracy, which is an important element in this, this whole equation, being against President Trump, and in spite of a bunch of Republicans being against President Trump, he got more done than any president uh, in, in certainly in our lifetime. So uh, I don't think it matters who they put up. I think there's a decent chance it's Clinton. I mean, she's out talking about, you know, out in, in front of folks now, uh, indicating that, that she may run again. I don't think it matters because the American people now see the contrast, what we had then and what we have now. And most Americans, I think, like, wow, I would love to have be back where we were uh, just a year ago. Well, a couple of things are happening. I don't know if you saw the New York Times today, but they talk about Kamala Harris and through surrogate, she's very unhappy. 
uh, that she was brought in the office and would say, I want you to say hello to Joe Biden, uh, Joe Manchin, and then leave. Because she had no big relationships with the Senate. They seemed to be, she seemed to be running for the presidency the day she got there. Evidently, she is deca- her declining approval ratings have her reaching out to people like Hillary Clinton to get advice. And also yeah. goes and blames, he says, if I was not uh, a minority and not female, she wouldn't be criticized like she's being criticized right now. She also blamed Joe Biden for giving a hard portfolios like voting rights and the root causes of, Emma, of migration. Yeah, I mean, it's, it always gets me when the Democrats complain about the treatment they get from the press. And I mean, like, well, but come to the Republican side, go through what you have to go through, what I have to go through, what, what President Trump, he had it worse than anyone. So they, they can they can, you know, c- complain, I guess. But but the truth is, she wasn't popular in the Democrat Party when she ran. I mean, she was like there was like, what, 100 candidates and she was like 98th place or something. I mean, it, it was and never forget what happened in that primary. Bernie Sanders was on the road to winning that nomination. And they decided, oh, and, and look, Kamala Harris was already out of the race, and they said, we can't have this. We're going we're gonna to go for moderate uh, uh, Joe, Scranton Joe. Uh, we're going to make sure he's the nominee, and they did it in South Carolina, and he ran as the guy who was going to bring us together, be moderate, be working class Scranton Joe. And it turns out that he's, he's more left than, than anyone else in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the, that primary. So we got something different. The country got something different than what was advertised. And that, too, is contributing to his low approval ratings and the vice president's low approval ratings as well. Representative Henry Cuellar, a moderate from Texas and one of the most prominent voices on the border issue, mm-hmm. obviously a Democrat. When Cuellar heard Ms. Harris was traveling to the border in June, he had his staff call her office to offer help and advice for a visit. He said, I say this very respectfully to her. I moved on. She was tasked with the job. It doesn't look like she's very interested in this job. So we are going to move on with other folks to work on this issue. Uh, he, yeah. that is a Democrat. This is to me, I, to me, it comes off lazy. Congressman Jordan, if you know, you do whatever you can. Sometimes what you try doesn't work. We get it. We all do know that feeling, but you have to yeah. try. Right. Right. No, uh, again, I think it's, uh, overall just a, a reflection of this administration. Um, they haven't done much and what they have done has been terrible. So that is not a good combination. But the the people of this great country understand it for, for again for what it is. I mean, they've been wrong on everything, and um, you know I think it's why again if, if, I think it's why we're going to win the election in in the midterms. I think there's a darn good chance Republicans are in control of the House, and a darn good chance we're in control of the Senate. And then I think in um, in 24, uh, President Trump is going to run, and I think as I said before, he's going to win. I mean, if he doesn't run. Do you see your said? Do you do you want to go over some names that you think will be out there? Well, I think I think no one can be President Trump. I mean, he 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 wins the nomination. I think he wins the the general election. Uh, I think the American people are, are hungry for the the kind of leadership. I mean, just just take one example. Remember when uh, Secretary Blinken was in Anchorage, Alaska, meeting with his Chinese counterpart, and the treatment he received from his counterpart in China, the the, the dress down, the lecture. Calling us, you know, racist, da da da, all the things that they were calling our country. That would never happen in a Trump administration with Mike Pompeo as Secretary of State. 
It just wouldn't happen because there was a whole different – there was strength projected from the Oval Office when President Trump was the commander-in-chief, and that is just not there now. And it's unfortunate. It's not healthy for our country. It's not healthy, frankly, for the world because the world's safer and better when we leave. And, and so that is the difference. If, that, if, if they tried that they, – first, they wouldn't try it, but if they tried it with Pompeo, Mike would have got up, flipped the table over and said, you don't talk to the greatest country in the world that way. We'll see you later and, and, and sent the message. But no. Tony Blinken just sat there and took it. That is the huge difference, and the, and the country now sees that contrast between real leadership and what we have with Biden and Harris and the Biden administration. Well, uh, the other big story is what's happening this holiday season. Again, we get a new variant in, and it spreads easier, but it's not as lethal. And the South Africans are saying the same thing. It is falling off a cliff in South Africa, and they're about yep. two or three weeks ahead of us. Are we overreacting as a country? You've seen the shots of the lines in New York City and Chicago <laughs> in freezing cold weather to get tested. Yeah, uh, it's it's you know I, this is the uh, the old line: uh, if if mask mandates and lockdowns work, Brian, then why don't they work? I mean, come on, the, 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 Fauci keeps going back to the same old thing, and and he changes his position every other day. So it's it's ridiculous. The country get, look this 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 virus is serious, and we have certainly treated it as serious. And, and we all understand it. And for certain certain segment of our population, particularly older people, I mean, you, you, you got to take the kind of safety precautions that, that need to be taken. But but we're, we're also we also have common sense and we also respect the Constitution, the First Amendment, the Bill of Rights and Freedom. And um, I think the American people are said, like, look, we're tired of Fauci. We're tired of all the double standards. Mm. Let's use common sense and let's move forward. Um, and, and not not go back into all these lockdown measures and vaccine pass. I mean, you got to show. I said we talked about this last time on your show, Brian. You got to you got to show a vaccine passport to get a Big Mac for goodness sake in some cities. This is just it's gone crazy. Um, let's use common sense and let's get through this and make sure our economy uh, gets back to where it was under President Trump. So, so there's no doubt about it. As I asked you last night, uh, the January 6th committee, Liz Cheney, uh, we know Adam Kinzinger. And all the others, they're looking to investigate what happened on January 6th. You're now in the crosshairs. Have you? Do you have to go pay for an attorney to find out what the next best thing for you is? And isn't it amazing well, I, that they wouldn't let you serve on it, but they want to let you testify in front of it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, we, we got the letter uh, yesterday. We're reviewing the letter. We, we intend to respond to the letter at, at, at some point here. Uh, but as I, as I said last night, and, and I mean – I got real concerns. I think the country has real concerns about any committee that will take a document, alter that document, totally mislead the American people uh, like Adam Schiff did last week with a, with the text message that I had forwarded on to the chief of can staff. Can you clarify that? A lot of people I, I, are catching up to this. Can you, can you tell yeah. everyone? Yeah, there was a, a lawyer in town who sent me a, 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 a law, kind of a law review type of thing that he put together and a text message accompanying. It was like three paragraphs. I sent that to, to Mark Meadows. Mark had turned those those documents over to the select committee as he was trying to work with them. And and then um, uh, Adam Schiff presented in a committee hearing, changes the punctuation, only uses half of a sentence, doesn't c- include the rest of the, of the of the text that I had forwarded from from the attorney and. Um, uh, just totally misleads the country. And again, I go back to this isn't the first time that Adam Schiff has misled the country. Uh, so when the committee does, and it looks like Jamie Raskin did the same thing on the House floor about someone else's text message that was sent to the chief of staff. So when you have a committee that's willing to alter documents, change things, mislead the country, uh, and, and, the, and the committee put out a statement, Brian, they said the select committee is responsible for and regrets the air. You know what that is? That is government speak for we got caught lying. 
that's what that is. And so I got real concerns about, um, you know, uh, working with uh, with trying to trying to, to work with any, any community like that. Are you worried about it? Well, we're, I mean, it, it is what it is. And like I said, we're going to we're going to review. Right. Uh, we're going to review the letter. We just got it yesterday. And, and our team is in the process of doing that. What do you think people will find when they see your book? What do you think they're going to discover when they close it about you? Well, I, I try to actually do what the title says. I mean, that's why I got in this business. You're supposed to do what the do what you told the voters you were going to do when you get the chance to serve. And I always tell people only about 12,000 people in the history of this country, the greatest country ever, have had the chance to serve in the United States Congress. If you get that opportunity, if you get that privilege, go do what you said you would do. And, and I, I, I write a lot about the behind-the-scenes uh, involvement I have with President Trump and with these big investigations. And, I, and I, you know, no one – no one did more of what they said they would do than President Trump, and he did it against, as we said earlier, against amazing odds, all kinds of people against him. And so I try to give the reader a, a behind-the-scenes feel for what it's like in Congress, and particularly some of the big investigations that I got. seems like I've been involved in every big investigation around that place, whether it was the IRS or Benghazi or impeachment. So um, I think it, it's, a, it's a quick read. I think your listeners will, uh, will enjoy the book. Absolutely. Go, uh, go pick it up. Uh, thanks so much, Jim Jordan. Always like talking to you. Ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee and author Thank of you, Do What You Said You Would Do. Congressman, thanks. All right. When we come back, we take your calls. one 408 And then we welcome in Chad Pergram, who will bring us inside Washington. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first. Only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This is a serious issue, and, you know, you can tell Americans don't believe your eyes or your pocketbooks, and, and, and I, I don't think these kind of events help. I watched the entire thing. It was mostly, hey, we a bragging session about, uh, you know, it being uh, these things not happening before Christmas. Uh, you know, this supply chain issue is going to go on for a long time. Now, there are short-term reasons for it, but there are also long-term reasons for it, and I think the most important thing to understand is that the, the average American is suffering mightily it's not about the Christmas presents people may or may not have gotten. So, yeah, I mean, Charles Payne is exactly right. And he's the business expert, maybe one of the smartest guys in the building. And he, he said, look, if you're going to come out and say the Christmas presents are going to be there and the shelves are, are stacked, they better be stacked in Iowa and uh, San Antonio, Texas. Because you just told the whole country, bar none, I've solved the supply chain problem. Even though there's over 100 ships and barges, 53 of which they say are cargo ships, uh, off Long Beach and Los Angeles, 22 off Georgia. The other thing that people are bringing up is uh, evidently 35% of the people say they've just gotten the item. They haven't gotten the brand they wanted, which is fine. I'm not saying that's a big sacrifice. They say places like Costco and Publix have limited certain purchases on certain products because they don't have enough. And you look at Toyota, who has closed five plants because they can't get chips for cars and new cars. So they're like, I'm not going to pay anybody not to sell and not to work on cars. So they close those plants. So I think that these are uh, these are some issues that are not being uh, discussed that much. But I was shocked one day after coming out and talking about the COVID virus and saying we're close, all of a sudden we get a Pfizer antiviral drug. Wow, we've been waiting for that from day one. Anthony Fauci never talks about that. And Merck has one too. 
Uh, and I'm not sure that's green-lighted yet. The second thing he talked about is, oh, by the way, the supply chain thing is over. Really? Uh, and now they're thinking about or working on reducing the amount of days that you sequester or quarantine if you are a posi- if you get a positive test. Like I'm looking at Baker Makefield, the Cleveland Browns quarterback, and he feels fine, but he took a test, uh, part of a routine that the Browns do, and he tested positive. And he's like, really? I'm going to miss a game, and i got to wait 10 days? They said, well, we might knock it down to seven. The rest of the world is down to seven. But the rest of the world is working towards the fourth shot. Count me out. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So far, so good. Uh, He gave the American people the Christmas gift they needed. He killed this bill in its current form, which would have been really, really bad for America. Exactly the wrong kind of prescription for the rampant inflation. As a result of what the administration advocated and the Democratic Congress passed earlier this year, we dumped $2 trillion on the American economy, which is a major factor in this huge upsurge in inflation the biggest inflation increase in 40 years. So I admire what Joe Manchin did. Uh, I don't expect them to give up. I think they'll keep coming back to him. And that was Mitch McConnell. Obviously, that's as happy as Mitch will be. Uh, for us, it's a drab day and we're in a d- deep depression. For Mitch, that was, that was him clicking his heels and tapping his toes. Chad Pergram knows this all too well. He works the halls of Congress. Fox News is congressional correspondent, the best in the business. And joins us now, Chad, this, the only thing that reminds me more dramatic is the uh, repeal and replace Obamacare with the thumbs down from Senator McCain. Uh, would you equate the two? It's pretty similar, you know, with what John McCain did do several years ago, killing the effort by Republicans to get rid of Obamacare. That said, uh, Obamacare, once John McCain did that, the, the effort to repeal and replace, that was dead. Uh, this bill is still on life support. Democrats have some limited options to try to resuscitate this maybe do this piecemeal, maybe, you know, uh, you know, get liberals uh, to listen to what Joe Manchin has been talking about, amend this bill somewhat. Uh, you know, Chuck Schumer says he's going to forge ahead in the new year and put this bill on the floor. For starters, if they put this bill on the floor in the current form, uh, they need Joe Manchin, first of all, to vote yes on the motion to proceed. You just can't put the bill on the floor. So they got to have him on board there. But the problem with actually having an up or down vote on this is that Republicans would love to get their hands on this. And during this special budget process that they use on this bill, they create what's called a, a voterama. And what Republicans will do is they will weaponize these roll call votes uh, that Democrats will have to take. And think about Democrats who have competitive reelection bids next year. I would look at uh, Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire. I would look at uh, Senator Cortez Masto in Nevada. These are swing states. And basically what Republicans would do is love to get them on the record about voting on different amendments that have nothing to do with Build Back Better, about defunding the police or the border or, or pick your poison there. And that is the danger in Democrats forging ahead with this. But again, they have to get the blessing of Senator Manchin just to proceed to the bill. Well, I have a few different ways to go there in, in my mental flow chart. First off, um, is Senator Manchin in the current form the only Democrat that you know of 
or feel that is against it in it. And by the way, it's not finished yet. I mean, the bill that came from the House is not something Senator Schumer is going to sign off on. But having said that, from what you know, was Senator Schumer, was Senator Manchin blocking for others that weren't going to accept this? To a degree, yes. Uh, you know, a lot of the other senators who might have reservations with this, I mentioned Senator Hassan, I mentioned uh, Senator Cortez Masto. Uh, you certainly hear a lot about Senator Cinema. I was told that the number might be as high as eight. Now, they might not have the same problems that Joe Manchin had with the bill, and it's a little bit harder to pin down because he has been the most vocal. He's out there. And if you don't have Joe Manchin, you don't have anybody. You know, that, that's the problem. They can't get the bill done if they don't have Joe Manchin. They need all of the stars to align. So, yes, you're right. He is the public presence of the opposition. He's willing to take some of that flack uh, and fly air cover there for these other senators. But it's not as deep as you think. A lot of those senators, even if they have some reservations, their deep-seated opposition to this bill is not in the same place. or they're not, they're, Their opposition is not as deep-seated as Senator Manchin's, I should say. So you, I watched James Carville say we're going to build back different, and we found out a report, and I go with your sources better than anybody else's, that said that Manchin put something out there that was $1.8 trillion that didn't have the child tax credit and some other things in it, but did have some uh, green energy in there and did have some of what Joe Biden wanted. Did he have a proposal out there? Well, yes, he did. And this is where, you know, when you talk to the White House, they think that what the what the senator said on Fox News Sunday with Brett Baer did not exactly comport with these negotiations that he had had with uh, President Biden back last Monday and Tuesday of last week. Those two things did not line up. And so, yes, there were some things there, and they didn't think that everything, you know, was completely coming into focus. That, that's why they felt like they were thrown under the bus a little bit, and you had these very public recriminations going back and back and forth for about 48 hours. That said, uh, you know, to some degree, and this is where they play multi-level chess here on Capitol Hill, a lot of people think that maybe this was Manchin's intention all, all along. He said, I need a pause on this bill. Let's see where inflation is going. Well, guess what? He got that. And I've reported that even before this was coming up. I said, it's going to be very hard to get this thing done by Christmas end of the year. So the pause was going to happen almost no matter what. We knew because of the special budget constraints in the Senate that they were going to have to change the bill that the House sent over. And then the House would probably have to eventually eat whatever they were able to pass in the United States Senate. The question is, if they narrow this bill, if they make it a little more lean and mean, can the House, can the liberals in the House accept something that is less than that? That's going to be the big question. they got to get it through the Senate first. We're probably a long ways off from that, but bouncing this back to the House of Representatives, uh, that is going to be the most challenging stage in this because those liberals may balk at what the Senate sends to it. So noteworthy to me that Senator Schumer did not attack Joe Manchin personally, nor did Nancy Pelosi, nor did the president. But his but the missives out of the White House on Sunday did. And we know that almost the entire squad got into him personally. And then you had some uh, you had this uh, this comment where I could not believe that they brought race into it. But I guess the congressman from New York, uh, Jamal Bauman. Bowman. Said Bowman, excuse me, said this about Joe. Cut 29. It's tremendously frustrating for me as a black man in America because, once again, it's an example of Joe Manchin as a white man showing that he doesn't care about black people, he doesn't care about Latinos, he doesn't care about immigrants, he doesn't care about women, and he doesn't care about the poor. It's very hard not to care about all those things at once. So I give him a lot of credit for not care for believing that Joe Manchin doesn't care about all those people. 
is that is that just a bridge too far from people in the halls? Have you heard that whispered in the halls? Well, Joe Manchin has always said in his biggest gripe over the weekend was about the civility of this. And this comes to people chasing him on his boat, chasing Kirsten Cinema into the restroom uh, out in Arizona at the university. I mean, there's been all sorts of things. You know, there's a level of, of discord here inside the Democratic Party. And when you have Jamal Bowman, a freshman Democrat, uh, bringing race into this equation, I mean, that that's pretty extraordinary. And this is where Mitch McConnell on Fox yesterday s- said, you know, we have Republicans uh, that are moderate, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, and we don't attack their positions on, on race or call them liars or racists or anything like that. That's where, you know, Mitch McConnell keeps kind of getting in the heads of the Democrats. Oh, you know, Joe Manchin's going to switch parties here, which has tremendous consequences. Because then, if that were to happen, and we don't have any sense that that is eminent by any stretch of the imagination, but you could imagine that if this incivility inside the Democratic Party continues, what eventually happen, could happen is that Joe Manchin switches and caucuses with the Republicans. Then you have a 51-49 Senate in favor of the Republicans. And let history be our guide. There was a 50-50 Senate. It's only been tied twice before, before this Congress. The last time was in 2001. Jim Jeffords was a moderate Republican senator from Vermont, and he felt that the Bush administration pushed him too far. He abandoned the Republican Party, became an independent, and caucused with the Democrats. And in those days, the Republicans had the majority, and that flipped control of the Senate about six months into that Congress in 2001. And, you know, again, that's the model here. If if they push Joe Manchin too far, if this goes on for another couple months, what happens? Is he more comfortable associating with the other side? I know that you don't usually do this beat, but maybe you've gotten to Congress. I, I just saw this story and was struck by Vice President Harris, a story written about her. Essentially, she's complaining through surrogates that Joe Biden is not letting her in all these meetings. That when Joe Manchin comes to visit, they say hello and she leaves. Did not have that great relationship with the Senate to work in. Has not been called on. She doesn't like her assignments. And doesn't really keeps a low profile and thought the White House should really be defending her. Karen Bass said that on her behalf when all these people uh, started attacking her for her performance. Have you heard about possible tension or ineffectiveness with the vice president? Uh, certainly. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of people on Capitol Hill who have indicated to me uh, over the past several months that they that they are less than pleased with the performance of the vice president, uh, that that maybe she hasn't uh, been quite up to snuff, frankly. Uh, that's been a concern here. Now, is that, you know, one side of the party kind of throwing the vice president under the bus? You know, this would not be the first time that there has ever been tension between two principals, the president and the vice president or their staffs. I mean, keep keep in mind there, you know, and again, this is somebody who ran against Joe Biden in the Democratic primaries uh, last year. That's that's significant. Um, You know, it was a little bit of a different dynamic when you had President Biden and vice president, excuse me, President Obama and vice president Biden Granted, both had served in the Senate, but Barack Obama had only been there a short period of time. And Joe Biden was actually given this portfolio. I remember during the debt ceiling crisis in the summer of 2011, where Joe Biden pretty much came to the Hill every day and was negotiating, uh, you know, talking to Eric Cantor, the House Majority Leader at the time, and, and trying to work out something with some of his former colleagues, which with whom he had these deep relationships forged over decades that even Barack Obama did not have because he had not been in the Senate that long. And so even, you know, you keep in mind here, Vice President Harris had not been in the Senate that long as well. She has not either been given that portfolio or has been viewed that she can do it as effectively. Now, where is that coming from? Is that coming from 
President Biden? Or is that people trying to, you know, keep her down? You know, they always say the assignments that they've given her have been pretty rotten assignments, you know, be the borders are. And, and people have criticized performance there or whether or not there's been any action on that by the vice president as well. Uh, you know, vice president, that is not a great job sometimes, especially when you might have aspirations to do something else. Good point. Uh, lastly, John Thune. What are you hearing about the possibility of the 50-something who they thought would be eventually uh, majority leader, perhaps, uh, retiring? It's possible. Uh, you, you know, there's certainly indications that he is not all the way in just yet. John Thune is kind of a weather vane as to where the Republican Party is. And if you have somebody who is perhaps on the precipice of succeeding Mitch McConnell whenever he moves on to be the Republican leader in the Senate majority or minority, uh, that is a problem because, you know, I, I think that you've seen the earth shift underneath John Thune here where the party is not where it was when he came in, kind of this low taxes, government get out of the way, you know, pro-agriculture type of type of senator from the Dakotas. And that's not where the party is. It's this pro-Trump party that deals with grievances from 1-6 and the election from last year and, and, and that sort of stuff. And that's not who John Thune has been. And that may not be in comportment with his voters and maybe just where he is personally. And this is where you look at some of these other senators on the Republican side of the aisle who are cut from the same cloth, who are retiring this cycle, someone already like Rob Portman of Ohio, Roy Blunt of Missouri, the same type of thing. They feel that the earth is probably shifted below them. And they might have, be a, they might have problems if they were to run in the Republican primary because that's not where the base is anymore. Keep in mind that former President Trump called John Thune, a rhino, and at one point he even encouraged Christy Noem, the governor of South Dakota, to maybe challenge him in the primary. She has not said she's going to do that, but that's something that the former president uh, endorsed at one point. And lastly, the hardest question. Senator Schumer says be in January of next year he's going to bring up voter reform, and if Republicans don't go along, he's going to look to modify the filibuster. I have no idea what that means. Well, what he what he means there is they have to do one of two things, change the Senate rules for the filibuster, which is really not going to happen, because in order to bring up a Senate rules change, and I'm going to emphasize the word rules here, Brian, a rules change in the Senate, you need 67 votes to break the filibuster on a rules change. OK, so not even 60, 67. So that's really not going to happen. But what you can do let history be our guide again. 2013, 2017, Democrats altered filibuster provisions, precedent. The Senate operates on precedent, not so much on Senate rules. And if you have a simple majority to establish a new precedent in the Senate as it pertains to a type of filibuster, which is what happened in 2013 with the first nuclear option, with all executive branch nominees, and then in 2017, which is how Mitch McConnell, uh, you know, kind of reformed that uh, nuclear option from 2013 to 2017, adopted it really to, uh, you know, make it uh, easier to get Supreme Court justices confirmed, confirmed three of them that way. What they're talking about is doing a new precedent for filibusters specifically to voting rights bills. And you can do that with 51 votes. But guess what? You need people like Joe Manchin and Cinema on board here to four. They have not indicated that they're willing to go down that road. But I am told that some of this stuff that we're talking about with Build Back Better, these two things are all wedded together because they're saying, look, Joe, you got to give us something here. At least give us the voting rights part if you can't give us Build Back Better. Um, and once you do that, though, the problem is if Republicans win the majority in 2023, all this stuff that Democrats have done, they will they will get they will alter when they have the majority because there will be no minority 
which is able to kind of control and delay the Senate agenda the way it works now. You know, you just need a couple of senators on board to block things in the Senate. If it goes to that simple majority to overcome a filibuster, this would be nuclear option three, again, nuclear option one in 13, nuclear option two in 2017, and then nuclear option three, uh, then you have fundamentally altered the Senate. And then basically the legislative filibuster is completely out the door. And the minority has no rights in the Senate the same way it virtually works in the House of Representatives today. Which is why so many are retiring. Real quick, 30-second answer. 23 Democrats said they're retiring and about, what, 12 Republicans? Biggest surprises? Well, you know, again, look at some of these people who, uh, uh, who are retiring. You know, they're chairs of committees. You know, look at someone like John Yarmouth from Kentucky. But then you also have older members like, uh, you know, Lucille Roybal Allard from uh, California. Had been here for 30 years. They're into their seven. They've been here a long time. You know, so some of that is not as surprising. And some of it's because of redistricting, frankly. Gotcha. Chad Pergram, always educational to talk to you. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Have a great holiday. Brian Kilmeade Show, back with you in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're dealing with a a serious enough situation right now that if there's an unvaccinated person, I would say I'm very sorry, but not this time, maybe another time when this is all over. Good. I don't want to come to your house anyway, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Really? Leave the unvaccinated relatives? Hey, I know you're 87 and, and Joan, But just stay the hell home. I don't want you in my house in Christmas, maybe dying, okay? I don't need you here on Christmas, Christ's birthday, please. Thank you, Anthony Fauci. That's what Dr. Fauci says, and he's my guiding light. Do you believe this guy? Are people still listening to him? Gary, listening in Pearl River, New York. Hey, Gary. All right, Brian, and Merry Christmas, America. Joe Manchin is what the Democratic Party looked like before the 65 Immigration Act. 65 Immigration Act rebuilt the hard left of the Democratic Party. I'll fight anybody on that if they want to argue with it. Also, legal immigration. You never hear anybody talking about repealing this act, nor you talk about deporting people coming inside this country. I believe, and I know a lot of people uh, with me on this, they're trying to lull the people to sleep into accepting the invasion of America. You know, we could put the military on that border. We could stop illegal immigration cold. People with visa violations, we can throw them out. We can crush those drug dealers on the border. I don't give them any fancy names. California is gone forever. I don't care what anybody says. You're not going to – Republican ain't going to win there no more. I mean, the only thing we could do with California is hope it succeeds from the nation. Then you hear people say, let's cut California in half. Why? And have four more left-wing senators and 100 psycho congressional people running around Congress? <laughs> no, that's not what we want. Gary, I think I, I love your acceptance speech after you run for office. Uh, Gary certainly is well-read. And passionate. That's the criteria for being a great caller. Gary, thanks so much. I think your message is heard. Don't forget, watch me tonight. I'll almost be as good as Gary at 7 on primetime. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Proud to be coming to you from the crazy New York, where everything is not shut down, but is shutting down. Uh, where people decide we're not, it's not the best year to see the tree or to go to a restaurant, which is killing business. Uh, we are coming to you, but heard around the country. Ryan Zinke at the bottom of the hour, the former Navy SEAL, former Secretary of the Interior, wants to go back to Congress as Montana picks up another seat. And he wants to be in it. It would be great if he wins. I hope he does. Uh, and by the way, Dan Hoffman's going to be with us shortly, Fox News contributor, former CIA station chief, served in Moscow. Man, do we need his expertise. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Do you plan to run for re-election? Yes. If I'm in the health I'm in now, in fact, I would run again. And if that means a rematch against Donald Trump? You're trying to tempt me now. <laughs> Why would I not run against Donald Trump or the nominee? That would increase the prospect of running. <sighs> President Biden ready for a rematch. It seems the answer is yes, and he pledges to complete his four years and do four more. Well, what would happen if Trump runs? Who would win the rematch? Would anything change? And if Trump does not run, who on the right would? Number two. But as the New York Times said today, Christmas gifts are arriving on time this year. Good news. We've saved Christmas. And that is because President Biden recognized this challenge early and focused on addressing practical problems across the global supply chain. <laughs> Biden alone can fix it. Yes, the White House claimed to have saved Christmas. They restocked shelves, unloaded ships, fired up trucks, and delivered your goods. Well, that's their reality. What's yours? Number one. This is a real game changer. This is the first antiviral pill that'll help keep my patients out of the hospital. And it's only for five days. The key is you've got to start it early. So that's why testing is critical. And making sure we have enough tests is also just as important. Good news. The Omicron variant subsiding where it started in South Africa quickly. Can we please stop panicking? Also, there's a drug, an antiviral drug that we could take. Should we test positive that will wipe out the virus in five doses, maybe quicker? Uh, But it's five. uh, There's five in the package over five days. This is great news, but we just don't have enough. That's the bad news yet. But we'll make more. Dan Hopkins with us now, Fox News contributor, former CIA station chief, served over in Moscow. Dan, great to talk to you. Uh, we have yeah, another. We have another Russian crisis. This one's real. Uh, it is real. Uh, Vladimir Putin, the KGB operative in the Kremlin, is testing the resolve of the Biden administration. Putin is on the offensive. He really wants the United States and our NATO allies to recognize Russia's traditional sphere of influence. That means their control over Ukraine. Uh, the Warsaw Pact, trying to reconstitute. Remember, they're still in Georgia. You know. Uh, they were probably there when you were there. And they're still in portions of the Ukraine with the so-called separatists. No one's buying that. Now, you said something I find interesting. You know, I, I don't know what the advantage would be for the Russians to invade the Ukrainians, who I think you were saying, and I most agree, they can fight. They might be outgunned and outmanned, but they will fight you. That will not be an easy steamroll a bunch of Syrian rebels this will be a real fight. Do you think they want that? Do they see the downside of that? I think Vladimir Putin sees the downside. Of course, he doesn't care about public opinion. What he does care about is his inner circle. And they might be concerned that Vladimir Putin would launch a war that would turn into an insurgency. You're 100% right. Uh, today's Ukrainian military is nothing like the Ukraine that Vladimir Putin invaded in uh, 2014. And then, of course, he annexed uh, Crimea. The problem is that 
Just earlier this month, Secretary General of NATO Stoltenberg said Ukraine should decide on its own whether they join NATO. And that's not how Vladimir Putin sees it. That's a red line for Putin. Uh, Putin wants, uh, based on the draft security pact that, pact that he uh, proposed publicly uh, last week, that, that NATO deny membership to Ukraine and roll back military deployments to Central and to, uh, to Eastern Europe. So while I don't think Putin I think Putin would be really risking something if he if he launched a full-scale invasion. He might try to launch uh, attacks, additional attacks, particularly in eastern Ukraine and in the Donbass region. Well, uh, a couple of things on that. True or false, by him constantly pressuring the Ukrainians, it's actually it's solidified and give them a sense of unity and solidify their anti-Russian attitudes. It's cemented. Uh, those who might have been maybe sympathetic to Russia and their old alliance and their relationship, and it's flipped the other way. It's helped nationalize the Ukraine. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Putin is playing a risky game here. What he wants is for the West to back down and and to state publicly that Ukraine's not ready for NATO membership, and that's a bit of brinkmanship from Vladimir Putin. And if we do that, we will have done uh, a great deal of harm to Ukraine's democracy because Ukraine, uh, those Ukrainians who have, have sought to uh, secure their independence from Russia will say, well, you know, the West isn't standing by us and we don't really have much choice. Our, our economy is in ruins and, and we're going to have to side with the Russians. So we need to stand strong here right now. You know, autocracies like China and Russia are on the march. And uh, I think Ukraine and Taiwan, for that matter. That's the geopolitical fault line uh, between authoritarianism and democracy. We don't stand up for democracies. We really don't stand up for much of anything at all. And there's no reason even to have NATO. So I want you to hear some of Vladimir Putin's presser. People say that the thing that's so amazing, he's doubling and tripling down on his fictional stories uh, and making believe that NATO is threatening him and he has no choice. Listen. We are told war, war, war. We have an impression that the Ukraine government is probably preparing the third military operation and warning us beforehand, do not get involved, do not defend those people. If you get involved and defend, then the new sanctions will follow. What's he even talking about? The Ukrainians got to attack who? Yeah, this is classic Soviet full-throttled propaganda, you know. It's the same, and, and no surprise, Vladimir Putin served in the KGB. For, for, for Putin, the motherland, Russia, always surrounded by enemies. Russia's never the aggressor. They're only fighting defensive wars. Ukraine, staging ground for NATO aggression. Now let's get to the facts. Russia invaded Ukraine. They invaded Georgia. And remember, the Soviet Union invaded Finland, dismembered Poland, annexed the Baltics uh, during World War II. So you know, Russia has a long history. The Soviet Union has a long history of invading other countries and interfering in other countries' internal affairs, especially in their sphere of in their so-called sphere of influence. Uh, and that's exactly what Putin is doing here. He's trying to win the propaganda battle. And uh, again, the question for the Biden administration is, what's our strategy and how are we going to stand up to Vladimir Putin? We can't give him what he wants. Right. You can't. And uh, obviously, but if he goes and invades, what are we going to do? You talk about embarrassment. Is there a, 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 uh, is there a risk of a simultaneous attack where the China goes into Taiwan and the Russians go into the Ukraine? Well, I think that's part of Vladimir Putin's calculus right now. So he's got 100,000 troops on Ukraine's border. He's able to ascertain how Ukraine responds to and how the West responds 
uh, in terms of what sort of defense we could mount against a Russian invasion. And he might see an opportunity down the road, maybe after the upcoming Olympics, where if China moves on Taiwan and, and the West is unable to deal with two crises like that at the same time, that he might take his shot at, at Ukraine at that time. The concern I have here, um, you know, Putin has 100,000 troops on the border. That's an awful lot. He's made public demands that are hard to back down from. And he's created this false sense of urgency that we have to have a settlement now. All of those things lead to the potential, at least, uh, for you know, a, a heightened state of alert and potentially military aggression from Russia. So Keir Simmons, a reporter on NBC, uh, was at the press conference. And, and here's what, uh, what they concluded. Cut 34. The nature of the negotiations, very, very clear now after that um, stunning document uh, that Moscow uh, put out there saying that their demand uh, is that NATO uh, no longer expand east and no longer engage militarily uh, with eastern European nations. Plainly, and Washington has made this quite clear, that is a a no-go. So we have now real clarity about what President Putin is trying to achieve Everything else, though, is as hard to read as ever because this messaging that he's giving at this news conference today comes in the same week uh, where he spoke to military officials and threatened a military technical response, which seems to be code for a cyber attack, and uh, suggested uh, that there can be no retreat. Want to decipher that? Well, I'll tell you what, this makes me very nostalgic for my old job at the CIA because I can tell you that uh, CIA intelligence officers are mounting a full core press to collect as much intelligence as we can on the Kremlin's plans and intentions. And, you know, it's so opaque uh, behind the Iron Curtain, so to speak, inside the Kremlin. You know, you need your sources there so that we know what Vladimir Putin is planning. The, the goal for a CIA analyst is to see the world through Vladimir Putin's twisted KGB eyes. And uh, I'm quite sure that, that President Biden is calling upon CIA Director Burns to deliver just that assessment. What are Putin's plans and intentions? And then let's discuss policy options for how we deal with it. But make no mistake, Putin has created this sort of false crisis, and he's doing it because he wants to test the Biden administration and the resolve of, of the Biden administration and the relationship between the United States and our allies. And remember, that suffered a lot because of the chaotic, uh, failed policy of our Afghanistan withdrawal. Yeah, I heard about that. Uh, in fact, we can't get over it. Even though the president wants us to forget about it, we won't. Uh, lastly, what obligation do you think, as a as a as an American, as much as an expert, Dan, do you think we have to help the Afghan people now? Being that we were their economy, we just left. The Taliban haven't changed their stripes. There's no doubt about it. The women are repressed, but they're about to starve to death this winter. A lot of innocent men, women and children. What do you think our obligation is? I think it's very complicated. There's the technical aspect here. How do you get money to Afghanistan without risking that the money is going to wind up lining the pockets of Taliban terrorists? And look, it's a terrorist state now. So you give money to them, it's going to the guys who are side by side aligned with Al Qaeda. And we clearly don't want to do that. In the words of the late Secretary uh, Colin Powell, the Taliban broke it. They own it. And they didn't negotiate in good faith with the Kabul government. They don't have a government right now that is uh, representative of the people. It's the Taliban Pashtu-dominated government with terrorists like Siraj Adin Haqqani as the Minister of Interior. Uh, It's very hard to expect to do any sort of business with them. Look at North Korea, same thing, the Hermit Kingdom. How much assistance do you want to provide them? We provide some, but certainly nothing like what we would provide uh, if 
you know, if the situation in North Korea were different and it weren't such a totalitarian uh, regime bent on repressing their own people. And, and that is the challenge that we face here. We're all sorry for the humanitarian catastrophe that awaits Afghanistan. That, too, a legacy of the Biden administration's failed Afghanistan policy. We don't have a plan for that either. But let's remember that the number one threat from Afghanistan, uh, it's al-Qaeda and ISIS. And we don't have the intelligence capability or the kinetic uh, strike options that we used to have in the old days. And, and that is of great concern to me. Afghanistan is more of a threat today to the region and our, our country, to our homeland, than it's ever been before. How much does that have to do with the hardware we left behind? Uh, I think it, it, it has a little bit to do with that and a lot to do with the fact that there is just now an abundance of ungoverned space. And if there's one lesson that we all learned from 9-11, it's that if you give terrorists ungoverned space, they will plot and plan against us here in the homeland. And that's the concern that I have. The discussion about some over-the-horizon capability, that's a pleasant-sounding phrase that means nothing. Over-the-horizon means you can't see it. We don't have the capability to detect the threats in Afghanistan and eliminate them before they're visited on our shores. And I, we still haven't seen a plan from this administration on how to do that. And, and to me, that's the, the, the chief concern here going forward. Uh, wow. Complicated situation, but it's not going to take a break up for Christmas, and neither are you. Dan Hoffman, thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Happy Christmas to everybody. Uh, same to you. Uh, Dan Hoffman uh, will be as a, it's just a premier Moscow expert, expert. Even though if you say to yourself, ah, who cares about Russia? We have enough problems here. Believe me, uh, it is front and center and should be. When we come back, your turn, one 408 766 Might be your last time to call, so get on board. Don't forget, watch 7 p.m. tonight. And a couple of days to go shopping. I know you're waiting to the last minute. President Freedom Fighter, thanks to all of you. It's number seven. It's seventh week on the bestseller list. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. If you go to BrianKilme.com and want it personalized, it'll go right to my Barnes & Noble by me. I show up once a week and sign them all. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. The- Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. How much has the government purchased? How much is ready to go right away? We've purchased several million already, but here's right away. I think it don't hold me the number. I think it may be 20 million, but a lot of pills, all they can make so far. But you know, I hope we don't get there because if people get the shots, they get their two shots and a booster, they're not going to be in a position where they're going to need such a pill. That's not true. See, this is the problem. He just let out exactly his agenda. They don't focus on therapeutics ever, antivirals at all, because that means if you get it, people get the sense they don't need the vaccine. That's what he's worried about. But do you see all the breakthroughs we're seeing now? Jim Cramer of CNBC boosted through. James Clyburn got boosted straight through, uh, meaning breakthrough case. You're going to tell me these people don't need the antiviral drug? They get mild symptoms, but they want to get rid of it right away and get back in action. I'm telling you, there's so many people also the durability of the vaccines big time. We don't want to get there. He just let it out, as only Joe Biden can. We don't want to get there. I had not heard that before. That, to me, is telling. I'm going to bring that tonight uh, up at 7. Beth, listening to New Mexico. Hey, Beth. Oh, I'm sorry, Keith. Hello, Brian. Uh, Keith Spaniel. Just got back from Afghanistan. 
uh, was there through, well, I was in Afghanistan through June 15th, retrograded Al-Udeed, left Al-Udeed September 15th. Uh, regarding the last presenter you had and the people left behind and, and just operations globally, a different mechanism, and that is working through the people that come to America to get a degree taught in English and then go back to their home of country because they are typically going back to run the company or the country. And it's working with those American-educated people that come here and get a taste for America to try to work with them to build a better place wherever they are. So I'm not really clear what what your uh, message is. The message is, is unfortunately for Afghanistan, their their education is so far behind. I've been to Iraq twice, been to Afghanistan twice. Uh, but in, in other countries that we're trying to have influence, let's talk about Iran. Guess how many citizens of Iran are educated in America and then yeah. go back to Iran? How many? There's a couple of there's a couple of hundred from my university in College Station, Texas. Working with those people. When, when Iran had their protest back in 2009, 2010, I was in Iraq at the time. When Iran was having their protest 2009-10, why were the citizens carrying signs written in English? Because they don't teach Arabic in their schools? No, because they wanted to communicate with us. Right. Uh, so uh, what do you think of the evacuation from El Adid? Oh, God. Uh, it, it, was, it was terrible. There was no there was no screening going on in Afghanistan. There was little to no screening going on in Afghanistan. The the um, the lower enlisted they got caught at the gates where the people surged. They only worked with compassion in their hearts and let what they saw as a non-combatant through because they weren't carrying a gun. Unbelievable! It's so disturbing. Uh, thanks for what you do, Keith. It's pretty extraordinary. We come back, we'll take some calls, but first I'm going to talk to the former Navy SEAL, Congressman Ryan Sinke, wants to go back to the House. The new from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. But as the New York Times said today, Christmas gifts are arriving on time this year. Good news. We've saved Christmas. And that is because President Biden recognized this challenge early, acted as an honest broker to bring key stakeholders together, and focused on addressing practical problems across the global supply chain. Yeah, good news. Everything's solved. The world is great again. Here's the problem. we got to play the game. Now you're going to go to your supermarket. I don't care where you're listening across the country, whether it's uh, Montana, Texas, or Iowa. And you're going to say, she told the truth. I got everything I want at the price I need. Or she's not. Or he's not. Joining us now, Congressman Ryan Zinke. He knows, uh, knows uh, better than to trust everything that comes out of Washington. He worked there for a while as former Secretary of the Interior, Navy SEAL for years, and was a member of Congress. Now he wants to go back. Congressman, welcome back. Hey, great to be with you, Brian. It, it, and it is fixable. You know, during Christmas season, look, we 
our country is a great country. Uh, it is totally fixable, but, uh, you know, we let it go, and it's, and it's time for Americans to rise and take back our country. And I don't know what planet, perhaps the North Pole, President Biden is, is residing in, but he has the power, you know, to help on the supply chain by executive orders, you know, expediting inspections, uh, making sure you can extend hours of, of trucking. And there's a lot of, of power he has. But to date, he has not exercised any of it. And I, I think he, he's living in a dream world. Why do you want to go back, Congressman? I mean, I know you were there for a while. Do you miss it? Did you like it? Do you sense you could be in the majority? Well, D.C. is not one of my favorite towns, uh, quite frankly. I, I think that there is a deep state. It's it's become corrupted. There isn't an agency, department, division that has the full trust and confidence of the United States citizens. You know, not even the Department of Defense anymore. Well, look, as much as I sometimes detest D.C., I love my country, and it's our country, you know, and we're a great country. But all of us have to pitch in and do our part. Uh, you know, even my Democrat friends, you know, are, are, are not feeling very comfortable about the direction of the country. And and we're all at stake. And, you know, I, I saw a recent poll, which should be concerned to all of us, is about 40 percent. It was a Fox poll uh, that suggested that 40 percent of Americans believe the biggest threat facing this country are the Republicans. And then a, a similar poll, about 40 percent believe the biggest threat facing this country are the Democrats. So clearly over over a majority of Americans believe the biggest threat are fellow Americans. And perhaps over Christmas time when it's a season of joy and love, you know, we're going to have to work together to to figure this out cuz you can't have, you know, the biggest threat being other Americans that just happen to be in a, on a different political party. I think it goes back to the, the principles that have made this country great, which are self-determination, limited government. I'm talking limited government and protection of constitutional freedoms. I think most Americans uh, support and will defend uh, those three. Yeah, may, uh, maybe we can get on the same page again. So here's the president uh, yesterday uh, talking about what's happening with our economy. Now, you know, well, he feels as though he solved all the problems, and he didn't realize that the day before, but he realized it yesterday. Cut 14. Earlier this fall, about supply chain problems leading to a crisis around the holidays. So we acted. A lot of recommendations of the people that you see on the screen here. I wish we were all able to do this in person. We brought together business and labor leaders to solve problems. And much, uh, you know, the much predicted uh, crisis didn't occur. Packages are moving. Gifts are being delivered. Shelves are not empty. It's a big proclamation. I mean, this is a big country. You really say that? Well, you know, it's, it's funny. They reacted. So you would think that a cabinet-level Department of Transportation would be critical to the supply chain. And yet, where was he? He, he was on leave. So, you know, it, it, you know, it's hard to take President Biden seriously when his cabinet members are on, on leave, when he, when he doesn't act. And then inflation, inflation steals from everybody, Brian. And, you know, and you look at the high cost of fuel, you look at the high cost of groceries, and energy in this country is what drives the economy. And when energy prices go up, as they are, uh, it, it affects everybody, but also affects local and state governments, because what happens is 
As energy prices rise, there's programs that are designed to help those that can't afford their heating bills and, and electricity. But that's taxpayer dollars. So rather than taxpayer dollars going to other programs, they're subsidizing because the fuel costs are higher. And at the heart of it is that, look, we're a great country. We have when, – when we came in with the President Trump's administration, we were 8.3 million barrels a day and declining. After two years – 12.5 million barrels a day, number one exporter of energy across the board on the, on, in the world, and energy energy co- costs went down. They were stable, as, and as soon as you say, you know what, we're not going to produce energy at home. We, the, the Biden administration, we would rather produce energy in foreign countries, be beholden and held hostage by foreign countries. Who's who produces energy in a in a much less environmentally sensitive way. No one reproduces fuel in in the like the United States. We our our gasolines are, are higher quality. They burn more efficiently. Our refineries are, are better. We're better at producing energy across the board. And in and this administration, you know, it has targeted the American energy corporations and energy industry, which which has a has an effect on inflation and, and that's a, a key driver. Here's what he said about that. Tell me if you could find problems with this argument. Cut 19. A second area of protecting American consumers. Take gas prices. Months ago, I saw oil production wasn't keeping up with the demand as the world started to get moving again, which could drive up prices at the expense of our consumers. That's why I work with international partners to coordinate the release of oil from our oil reserves and theirs. Now, gas prices are coming down more than 10 cents a gallon nationally. Gas prices in 21 states now are at their historic averages before the pandemic, historic averages. That's good news for Americans hitting the road this week. So we came down a dime over, it's about $1.50 above where it was when he took office. What's your, what's your reaction to what he says he's doing? This is the same administration that has begged OPEC to produce more oil. On our National Petroleum Reserves, yeah, he released about a day's worth. So it, 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 the market accepted it, no, no change. Canceled, canceled infrastructure pipelines that need to you know, transport fuel safely, uh, you know, supports Russia's pipelines, doesn't support ours. You know, the list goes on. Again, I think he's living on the North Pole uh, because he has done everything he can to target and, and 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 target production in the United States. I mean, you, you look at the federal land, which is about 25% of our petroleum and energy sources come from federal lands. So he has he has stripped the ability to offer new leases uh, on on oil and gas. And his idea on public land is to build these huge solar fields. Look, which is single use of land. Public land belongs to all of us. But all of a sudden, you, you, you put a huge solar field on it, single use. You're not going to recreate on it, no habitat. And, you know, lastly, look at the Marines, you know, out in the, out in the West. You know, if they take a desert tortoise, it's called a taking, right? It's a big deal. Uh, there's, been, there's been Marines that, that have been prosecuted for it. And yet you can put a solar field in 500 miles and take thousands of, of desert tortoise without penalty. No problem. It was one of quote, renewable, but again, on public land, you put these huge fields in of, of solar. It's single-use in perpetuity. 
it, it makes no sense in this country, the, the energy policies. But it's being driven by, again, you know, a president that's, that's living in the North Pole. Right. There were turtles in the desert? Well, those little desert tortoises, they're out, they're out there. You know, and, and they're, if a Marine... You know, they, they, they canceled and moved entire Marine exercises, military exercises, be, because of, of, of a desert tortoise, which you know, I, I, I support, you know, endangered species and right. making sure that we, you know, we, we support and defend those. But, but on one side, you know, uh, we're, no, we're putting you. up windmills. Which I, just up know turtles, I thought turtles field. needed to jump in the water. <laughs> no one's ever told well, me this. These are the desert tortoises. I got to get out more. Cute little guys. Yeah, I got to get out more. I'm trying to think. You know about that and fighting wars, uh, which brings me to the uh, to the other big story. Joe Biden said this yesterday about re-election. Cut twenty. You said you would absolutely serve eight years if elected. Do you plan to run for re-election? Yes, but look, I'm a great respecter of fate. Fate has intervened in my life many, many times. If I'm in the health I'm in now, if I'm in good health, then, in fact, I would run again. And if that means a rematch against Donald Trump? You're trying to tempt me now. <laughs> sure. So he said sure. I mean, what do you think the chance of that happening? Uh, remote. You know, obviously, I, I, I wish the best in health for President Biden. I think America should, too. Um, but what I'm seeing and what most Americans see is, you know, he's aging. And, and his ability to continue the office and the pressures of that office. You, you, you look at previous presidents were fairly young going in. Uh, President Clinton was fairly young. I think uh, President Ob- uh, Obama was, was fairly young. You know, after a short period, the gray hair com- comes out. There's a lot of stress in that job. And and uh, the chances of him going into a second term as president or, or, or running, I think, are pretty remote. And I think he knows it, too. What's your sense with President Trump? Uh, you know, I don't think he knows whether he's going to run or not. Uh, you know, he's certainly... Uh, you know, going to rallies and, and gaining support, I, th- I think he runs. There's no doubt he'll get the Republican nom- nomination. But I don't think he knows uh, whether he's going to run or not, and we'll see. Uh, you know, he's he's got a lot of talent, and, and one thing about President Donald J. Trump is that very few Americans don't have an opinion. <laughs> you know, I say, you know, I, I, it would be an interesting poll to say, do you have an opinion of Donald J. Trump? And, and how many people would say, oh, no, you know, I really don't have an opinion. Uh, it's either a, a fist or a thumbs up, uh, and, and that's Donald J. Trump. He get, he, but I tell you, he, he does what he said he's going to do. And, and, you know, people ask me, you know, as, as a cabinet member, how was it? I said, well, it's pre- it was pretty easy because he looked at his campaign promises, and those campaign promises were on a whiteboard in the White House. And that was the roadmap of where the administration was going. It was going to answer the bell, finally do what, what he said he'd do. Would you like to see him run? You know, I, 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 love, I love the president. I'm, I'm going to say it's up to the president. If the president runs, you know, I'll, 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 I'll absolutely be his, his you know, most, most uh, feverish uh, supporter you know, on it. But it's up to him. He must know that, he, that he's, you know, 76. Uh, they're going to go after him. They're going to go after his family, and he knows that. Uh, he's a very, very smart man, uh, a patriot. 
and, and if he if he run, runs, I'll 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 be the 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 first there to to be on the, on the wagon and 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 he he you know it'll it'll go through an election process and 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 we'll see. But certainly, I, my gut feeling is you know there's a lot of pundits that say absolutely he's going to run. No, my gut feeling is that he hasn't made his mind up yet, and when when he does, he'll let us know. Uh, Ryan Zinke, our guest. Last question. Vladimir Putin rattling the war drums, and he's got 100,000-plus troops on the Ukrainian border. It seems real serious. He gave his State of the Country address. Listen through the translation. We are told war, war, war. We have an impression that the Ukraine government is probably preparing the third military operation and warning us beforehand, do not get involved. Do not defend those people. If you get involved and defend, then the new sanctions will follow. What is he? He's obviously twisted. We're not. We're not looking to get war with them. Obviously, we're not the one welling up troops. Obviously, they're the ones looking to uh, to to drum a, uh, intimidate Ukraine and possibly invade. What's he up to? You know, it's amazing uh, that President Putin, you know, you look at the cards he was dealt, you know, probably as, as the you know, set of sixes, but he plays it like he's got a full hand. Uh, the Russian economy is, is nowhere near that of, of Western Europe, the United States and China. They have nuclear weapons and he leverages every opportunity, I think, brilliantly uh, from the point of view of the advantage of Russia. Uh, you know, I'm concerned about Taiwan. I, you know, if, if China's going to invade in Taiwan, I would think it would be post-Olympics. And I think Russia is watching that very, very closely. Because if China moves on Taiwan at the same time that, that Russia moves on Ukraine, you know, our force disposition where we're at in the Pacific, where we're at in, in, in Eastern Europe, uh, we can't do much other than, than watch it and perhaps apply some economic sanctions, but if both China and Russia act together, you know, it's, uh, it will, it will, it will, it will tip national security, worldwide security in a, in a direction that's unknown. You got to get back in there and fix that. Uh, I'm sure you, you, you know, it is you, fixable, Brian. I tell you what, the, one of the best memories I, I, I have is when we were going in the Statue of Liberty, crawling up the arm to get in the in the, in the torch. Uh, I, I view that as, as, as one of the one of the greatest moments I think in New York I've had. And, and what's nice about it is it was we were able to share it together. And because of you, they said well, you're not allowed to go up there. And you looked at them and you said. I'm the Secretary of the Interior. He goes, I guess you can do it. And we went up well, into you know, the tour. You know, I said, I have, I have Brian with me. And I said, oh, if you have Brian with you, you can <laughs> ah, go right up. That is not true, but I'll take the spin. <laughs> I'll take the spin. Ryan Zinke, thanks so much. Uh, best of luck in this election. Uh, make a, I'm going to make – I'm not even going to pretend to be fair and balanced. I'm pulling for you. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody. Back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. Let's find out as we get ready for the 7 o'clock show tonight. It's coming up any minute. Uh, On primetime, I know you're all going to be watching and picking up the President Freedom Fighter in the last couple of days before Christmas. Let's find out if there's more to know. 
More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Good news. Fox News wins the 2021 ratings race. How the network went from last place to first place is a big story out there within the trades. In primetime numbers, Fox had $2.3 million on average with 374000 in the demo. CNN, $1.1 276, MSNBC 1.5 with 220. But it's overall number one over ESPN and everything else. It's pretty incredible. And remember back in January, everyone was freaking out, all the other networks. It's the end of Fox News. Yeah, nope. Yeah, it didn't happen. Next. Will of Fortune fans are perplexed with the rule after a woman loses an Audi. Give her the car. That's their sense. Uh, Charlene is the contestant. Made it the final round of Tuesday's episode where the category was where are you... What are you doing? You uh, after, uh, yeah, let's listen. Choosing the right card. Choosing the right. Word. You know, this one's tough because you, you said all the right words, including the word word. But as you know, it's got to be more or less continuous. We'll, we'll allow for a little pause, but not four or five <laughs> seconds. Who's so they, that? Uh, that's, uh, so the champ was Alex Jacob. What was the ruling? They didn't give her the car because there was too much of a pause, but Audi stepped in and gave her the car anyway. Nice. That was Pat Sajak. Yep. Mm-hmm. That was the host. Okay, good. Uh, all right, everybody. Have a great day. Keep it here. Brian Kilmer. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.